1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? What do you know about a man called Scaramanga? The man with the golden gun. He always uses a golden bullet. This trinket was set with a note requesting special delivery to you. I've never seen Mr. Scaramanga. This is impossible. I can't. I can't tell you. Don't kill me. Who? Go, Michael. Roger Moore, back in action in the exotic east as James Bond, 007, on a collision course with the most dangerous man alive. The man with the golden gun. James Bond, on the job. The girls are willing. I've dreamed about you setting me free. The pace is killing. a new high for 007.
Bonde. I am Nick Nat, Monsieur Scaramanga will welcome you personally. The target is the highest priced killer in the world. He plays a deadly game, and the stakes are sky high. Everybody and welcome to Is It Yours? It's James Bond time again, so that means it's time for Dave Pascarella and Chris Tyler to join me. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey. Good to be here. It's going well. You can call How are you me guys superfluous doing? Papilla. That's you. That's what we no. always called you. That's what we called you if we didn't watch James Bond. Oh, good. <laughs> So today we are looking at The Man with the Golden Gun as we make our journey through the James Bond catalog. This is the second Roger Moore film. Uh, this is the second, I, I guess it's the, actually the fourth one I've seen in a theater, but it's the second that I went with just my friends to see, which, you know what that means, guys? That means uh, I had to go see it like three times. Oh, of course. I think the first time I went, we sat through it twice, because you could do that back then. Ah. Yep, yes. Uh, I can tell you that this movie, to some extent, tests uh, my my prior statements of I can get enjoyment out of every James Bond movie. (laughs) Because when I start to rank them, I have to admit this one is on the lower end. All right. It's not that it doesn't have anything. It, It tests that theory, but the theory survives it. Because I do have some enjoyment in this movie, but there's some things about it that just irk me. And we'll talk. Uh, yeah. It pushes credibility just a little bit. Oh, I, well, I might be the dissenting voice on this one again. Well, you know what? It, it's funny because I felt like the tone of Bond in this movie is very inconsistent. Yeah. Because you have the ruthless Bond who... Uh, Who's ready to shoot a guy's nutsack off, or yeah. who, or who's break twisting Maud Adams', Maud Adams arm. arm to the point where she's, you know, afraid it's going to break, uh, and then you have him, uh, you know, giving some some quips like, "Oh, it's quite titillating," uh, you know, yeah. it, it just it 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 the characterization didn't feel consistent at all. It felt like there was a little bit of, frankly, slapstick in the whole thing. Yeah, shut up, is. Q. Shut up, Q. <laughs> it, it did feel like some slapstick and I, I want to get right to that it's one of my notes here is, is, and, and I want to get it out of the way early because J.W. Pepper I love uh, J.W. Pepper I, I do not I, I, First of I, I all, like him in this more than I like him in, in uh, Live and Let Die oh I, I think he, he couldn't be more offensive what does he call the guys pinheads uh, yeah. pointy head uh, somethings yeah, but but uh, First of all, it, it totally strains uh, credibility that he would be in Asia. That's you never happening. You, are you saying redneck sheriffs don't typically travel to Asia for their yes, vacation? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. On a county sheriff's salary. 
It was the seventies, though. You're not you're not running into J.W. Pepper in Thailand. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, his wife was with him, or mm-hmm. you know, so it, maybe she dragged him along. Well, first of all, J.W. Pepper probably wouldn't have a wife, but that's besides the point. Because he, he, I don't know if any woman would get within ten feet of him. Well, then it was a special lady friend. But uh, you know, this this movie has, I think, one of the best car stunts. Oh yeah. That I've ever seen. And it's kind of ruined by J.W. Pepper being in the car and, and making noises. No, the only thing that ruins it is the slide whistle. Oh, and the yes. slide whistle is terrible. I have no problem with J.W. Pepper being there because you can see he's just woo, he's ready to go. At least he's not being a total schmuck like in the... You, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny you say that because I was thinking kind of the same thing. That he's kind of like, let's go get him. Yeah. He's not but a cowardly guy. No, not at all. Not all. I, I like you, me and my partner. You know, I mean, there, there's moments that I find amusing. You can take the does, cop out of Louisiana, but you can't. You he know, does not belong in this be movie, though. No, he doesn't. He, he, he can make me laugh a little bit, but he does not belong in this movie. And he brings it down a peg as far as I'm concerned. Because, you know, like like you said, it, it almost seems like slapstick. He totally gives you that. But it's so worth it for... For Roger Moore going, oh yes I am, boy. Yes. It's so worth it. So, uh, you know, I, I guess we'll agree to disagree about JW because I just don't think right. he should be in this movie at all. I uh, find that the stunt with the car completely credible. That he was able to somehow wind up in the back seat, I don't find that credible. Well, I, I, I mean, you got to love the fact that it's it's practical special effects so it, it you know it is a stunt with the car and somehow they pull that thing off which is amazing apparently in one shot yeah, well, yeah i don't know that you get many you want to do another take on that. that yeah so just uh this movie has possibly the the most well it's probably tied for but uh one of the most uh suggestive female names ever Chew me. Yeah, what's wrong with that? She's right up there with Pussy Galore. Yeah. <laughs> or Goodhead. Goodhead. Well, we didn't, we didn't get we didn't get to Goodhead yet. We will. We, we still we still have two more movies before we get to Holly. Oh, God. So uh, another thing that I kind of felt strained credibility. Let's go. I want to kind of try and get some of the negatives out first, and this way maybe we could talk some more positives. Uh, Britt Eklund, although quite fetching, eh. does not present herself as a as a true secret agent. No, she doesn't. She should not. She should not be in the role she's in. They make her too incompetent, too airheaded. You know, you you know, you talk about the stereotype of a dumb blonde. Uh, that person's not getting anywhere in MI6. Well, she might have. Don't know how she got up there, but she, you know, she might have. She is Miss Goodnight. Yes, yes, yes. It would have been more believable had she been a tourist or something who somehow got wrapped up with Bob. Yeah. Yeah, that does make more sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. To have her be, you know, somehow, you know, on some level, an equal of Bond is just ridiculous. Oh, she's yeah. She's certainly not presented that way. Uh, so, uh, 
we open yes, up she, the she is my least favorite part of the movie. We, op- we open up, we have uh, the gangster dude who's coming after uh, Scott Romanga. And is he the same guy from Diamonds Are Forever? Yeah, he is. Okay. I didn't know there was a pool down there. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> uh, I don't know if he, I don't think he's supposed to be playing the same guy, but it's the same actor. Uh, it's interesting, I guess, uh, that Knickknack, and I want to talk about him, obviously, a little later, uh, but he's, I guess, Skyrimang is paying him to keep him on his toes by letting people like this in. Yeah. He's, he's Kato. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, he's, he's, he's <laughs> Kato with, with uh, Clouseau. Uh, but, but he also, he levels the playing field because he makes it hard on the gangster, too. You know, yeah. with, with, you know, with the different things that are going on, the, uh, you know, the laughter and the, the concentric circles and all of that stuff that, that is, that's there to throw him off balance. So it's not like he's saying, oh, here, I'm going to help you to get Scaramanga. And apparently the reward, if he lets somebody in that does succeed, is that he gets the, the riches. Yeah. Eh, sweet deal. So I guess we could talk to, talk about him now. I I like him as a henchman. Oh, I yeah. really get a kick out of him because he's not – his presence is never to be a physical threat. He's he's totally stealth. Yeah. And, and, and underestimation. Yeah, but he succeeds. I mean, he he knocks Bond out at some at one point. So yeah. you know, that's it. If if he if they wanted, he's dead there, and and Nick Knack killed him. <laughs> you know, so that's that's impressive. I mean, our job knocked him out also. I guess so. It's not unheard of. Uh, it's I'm I'm once again a little disappointed, and this is I guess the third time that this is happening. Uh, but it's like everybody knows about Bond. <laughs> yeah. He's the, like the worst secret agent ever. Scaramanga's got, you know, a, a mannequin of him in, in his uh, lair. And then when when uh, when Bond is pretending to be Scaramanga, he says, oh, very few people haven't heard of Bond. <laughs> hey, you know what? They were just riding the wave because everybody had heard of Bond by that point in real life. Just playing into it. I mean, does that make you a better secret agent if everybody already knows who you are? No. You can still do everything That's good if you're going to, to Cheers. Uh, all, right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. It's like, how do you infiltrate anything if any everybody you get knows? You a fake you. nipple. It's the fake nipple that does it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, you know, and they're always the way he came. I'm sorry, they're always what? They're always glad he came. Yep. Everybody knows his name. Well, the ladies are certainly glad he came. <laughs> Bunch of little James Bonds running around. Yep, I'm sure there is. Oh, no, they had vasectomies back in the 60s, right? Now, what do you think of Christopher Lee in this movie? I love him. I thought he was one of the brighter parts of this movie, to be honest. Now, he's supposed to be... I, I think he's also... There's a little bit of a mixed message with him that bothered me. 
it's on the one hand, if you watch him, it seems like he's obsessed with uh, with Bond. You know, he's got the the mannequin of him, and he he wants to prove he's better than him, and all of this stuff. On the other hand, he makes it oh, I'm, you know, I really don't care about you. Go go on your own way. You know that kind of thing. So it's well, like, th- well, what's the case? Well, I think that was going to be the case until Bond just kept pushing and pushing, and it's only because then why uh, does he have a mannequin of him? Well, I mean, don't you have uh, statues of people that you respect and admire? But he, I think he acts like he, he doesn't admire. Well, I think he, he does. does. I, mean, you know, I, I take it as it's like uh, a respect for a respect for his enemy almost, but it's not personal. Yeah, like if he had actually gotten paid to kill Bond, then he would have tried to kill Bond. But since Bond wasn't the target... You know, it would have made the, this the best movie ever, and they could never do it, but it would have made it the best Bond movie, is if you were going to try and have Bond's opposite number, his equal as an assassin, when you're casting the role, you should have seen if you could have gotten Sean Connery to play him. It was, yeah, we'd enjoy that, but I think the uh, movie-going public would have been a little thrown off. I would love that. I th- Yeah, I would too. Except you have to have Sean Connery have a goatee. Well, you know, yeah, you you could you could have you know you could have let him go because he didn't he never had any uh, he he never had any ego about his hairline. He didn't mind going out there and being bald. So you could have had him put you could have had him with a goatee and and no no hair piece, so that he wouldn't look like Bond. Still would have sounded like him though. Yeah, well, it would have been awesome. Yeah, it would have. But you know what is awesome? The theme song, and I'm probably the only person who likes it. No, you know who likes it? Luke. It's 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 one when, of my favorites. When we did our uh, long play episode of James Bond songs, he talked about how how he sings this one. Yeah, it's a fun one to sing. I mean, it's 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 a hundred times better than To Sir with Love. Come on. I think it's a decent song. It sticks in your head. I don't dislike it. I, I don't think right. it's one of the best, but it does. Uh, but it does. It is catchy. And it's Lulu. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I, anytime, it, anytime I watch this, yeah, it's Lulu. Every time I watch it, I, I sing along and I put the falsetto on. And Mari was looking at me like, this is a terrible song. Why are you singing this? I'm like, this is a great song. No, it's it's a very catchy song, but it's not a good song. To Music, musically, own. it's not a good song. No, it was the seventies. Come on, just, just, just getting into that vibe of the, you know, the disco thing. I got no be problem a, with disco Bond. Be honest, this was your wedding song, right? Uh, first dance? No, that was Let's Stay Together. <laughs> this was the second one. <laughs> Might have been. <laughs> it's a, it's not a bad song. I think it's all right. I, I kind of like it. I like it too. So another point that I think is we we have to touch on is you know in Live and Let Die we talked about how they were channeling the black exploitation movies of the era. Yeah. This movie clearly channels Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon. There's a good chunk of it, yeah. And it's kind of presented, quite honestly. And this is not this is not unique to this movie because James Bond does this, but it's kind of a non sequitur. It's just kind of let's let's throw this in. 
uh, we'll have you know we'll have this karate school kind of thing, and I don't know. It's it's just it, it. I don't like James Bond chasing trends. Well, I, I mean, prefer that's... James Bond to be a trendsetter. I had more problems with some of the wackiness of the whole thing. I got a kick out of when he goes to fight the first guy and he bows and Bond just kicks him in the head and lays him out. And then the second guy's like watching very closely. Mm -hmm. But then when he's making his escape from this thing and uh, the lieutenant comes to get him with the two nieces, but then they leave him behind. Yeah, oh, well, it's, it's kind of cool when the two nieces come and they kick ass. No, no, that's I'm saying that they leave him behind. Yeah, when they take off in the car, he has to run and throw a guy off the bridge and then keep running. Right. Do you, do you think? Do you think that the that scene with the two nieces? Do you think that that inspired Tarantino in Kill Bill? Um, because I never I, made that connection before, but as I watched it for today's show, that thought occurred to me. Well, he's seen everything, and I'm sure that that certainly is in there somewhere, but the uh, Asian schoolgirl kicking butt is not limited to James Bond. And, and, yeah, and Tarantino is admittedly a big fan of the, uh, you know, the 70s kung fu movies. So yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure he saw it in other forums as well. Yeah. Yeah. I I enjoy all the karate stuff in it, but you know. Hey. But I, I got to say, this one has kind of gone a little bit of the gamut with me because, uh, you know, as a kid when I saw it in the movies, I really enjoyed it, and then as I started to have all the James Bond movies, you know, at, at home, in you know whatever forms of media, it fell to the bottom of my or towards the bottom of my list and I hadn't sat down and watched it for quite a while for exactly that reason so when I watched it for today's show I hadn't seen it in quite some time which made it more enjoyable for me this is one where I don't think you could you know I don't think I would enjoy seeing this you know frequently Uh, whereas there are other Bond films that I could watch over and over again I think this one I need a lapse of time in between viewings because I think it would get stale quickly. Uh, but having been probably, I would say, at least five years, maybe longer, since the last time I saw it, uh, I would say, in fact, definitely longer than five years, uh, it, it, I enjoyed it because there were things about it that I didn't really have a sharp memory of. <laughs> Uh, I enjoy it every time I watch it, and yeah, I mean it. It, it is very popcorny um, and wildly inconsistent, but I'm just a big mark for the Roger Moore movies. So, yeah, so. I, I, I kind of felt like he hit the ground running in Live and Let Die, and he he had a really good tone to it. It was enough different from Connery. It kind of picked up where Connery left off in Diamonds Are Forever, but it was enough different that he kind of, you know absorbed the character a little on his own uh but in this one it felt like he was more confused or not so much him being more confused but the writer the script yeah the, uh, the being script a little is... bit more confused as to, as to 
what tone are we trying to set here? And like I said, is it the ruthless bond? Is it the quippy, quippy bond? Uh, is it the very, very uh, competent bond? You know, where, where are we going with him? And it, it felt like the writers didn't know for sure. Uh, and that did reflect in the box office on this movie. This, this was, by their accounts, a box office failure. And when this was done... The franchise was in a little bit of a, you know, it was, it was a little bit at risk. They weren't sure what they were going to do, and I think, I think we had three years before the next movie, so the producers were a little off. Now some of that is due to uh, the legal hassles they had with McClory, but I think some of it is also due to the fact that it got a lukewarm box office. I so, mean, and that's. And that's just the thing. I mean, not all of them are going to hit the way that they want them to hit, I and mean, unfor- unfortunately. Um, but I mean, it's still it's still early in his run, and, and and I know from this point up until basically for your eyes only, we do get the very quippy, uh, more lighthearted Roger Moore Bond, um, you know. And maybe that's just the way that they thought they needed to go. Maybe. I, I don't See, know. I think, I think we, we got some quips in, in The Spy Who Loved Me, and we'll talk about that. Obviously, that's the next movie. But I don't remember that one being as inconsistent as this. In fact, I think it, that not. is generally considered Roger Moore's best one. It, uh, yeah. So, you know, we, we, we'll see. We'll, we'll get to his characterization when we get to that one. But I, I seem to remember him being more uh, grounded and, and uh, you know, and by grounded, I just mean more consistent, more he, you know, on solid ground. Working. Yeah, he's definitely more consistent. I I think the zaniness kind of goes, it it, it keeps getting ramped up until we get to theorize only. I mean, with the technology and the underwater bases. Oh, the technology is off the wall in in Spy Who Loved Me, but I don't think the quips are. I don't think the silliness is. There's a couple good ones in there, yeah. uh, We'll we'll see, we'll get there. Yeah, we're not on that one yet. uh, Yeah, I don't want to overstep our bounds in here. Yeah. Let's see. We talked about the theme song. Uh, we talked about Bond. Everybody knows his name. <laughs> I, well, it's. <laughs> oh, I did. I got to kick. You know, when we talk about the ruthless Bond, uh, when he when he when he wedgies the sumo wrestler. <laughs> yep. That was a pretty ruthless move there. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's wedgies. The the two the two karate girls kick the one guy right in the junk. I mean, it's. You know, he's going to break Maude Adams' arm. I would never do such a thing because uh, she is an absolute smoke show. Yeah. This one. Um, and, and, and once again, there was a moment where Bond is kind of like a little inept, and I didn't like that when he's in the in the boat and he has to ask the kid how to turn on the motor, basically. Well, I mean. I don't like that. And then he throws the kid overboard. I, which I love. I, that is probably my favorite part of the whole movie. The the other thing is Bond's kill count is not very high in this movie, right? I mean, he kills Scaramanga. Who uh, else does he he kill? Not. I assume Knickknack is dead by the time they take the, that eight hour trip back to China. <laughs> I yeah. mean, the more brutal kill was good night throwing the technician guy into that vat. Yeah, which is awesome. 
and this is where we see the technology start to take off. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely. Well, I mean, we saw a lot of technology, and you only live twice with the, uh, you know, with, with the volcano, the ingrat, you know, the the living in the volcano thing. Right, right, right. And yeah. diamonds are forever with the satellite. I mean, we we we've been ramping up the technology little by little. Now it's going to become a staple, though, for a long time. Yes. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm fine with that. I mean, that's half the fun. Oh, of course. Until we get to invisible cars. Uh, you know what? And we'll, we'll get there when we get there. But I, I even like the invisible car. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defend that movie when we get to it. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> uh, the, crit- I, the criticism I, is I overblown, no as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But we'll I get have no there. problem. I have no problem with a breezy Bond movie. Not all of them need to be Casino Royale or Skyfall or For Your Eyes Only or From Russia with Love. I, it, it's okay to throw this one on and marvel at the sometimes goofy stuff, uh, the amazing '70s set design for that junk that Scaramanga has. That bedroom is like so pimptastic. <laughs> the the island design, the fun house, uh, the 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 tilted wrecked ship where they're oh. I, I mean everything about it is just like oh that's a even if you're not totally engrossed by the movie, it's it's not as it's exotic in the terms that they're in Asia, but it's not like they're showing modern day hong kong or you know um surprise one of these movies hasn't gone to the burge to buy yet you know they're showing kind of street level stuff in an area that i'm sure a lot of people had never seen i'm sure a lot of people didn't even know what the hell kickboxing was until this movie came out so it's i mean i i get enough in it to where i'm entertained by it because it is just it's so 70s (laughs) And yet it's sponsored by the American Motors Corporation. Well, of course. <laughs> Doesn't that car line die pretty soon after this? Pretty sure. <laughs> it's a that's a but I mean that some of the the drive some of the driving stunts in this are and I'm not even talking about the loop de loop, but just the the drifting to go and t- do a 180 and then go back the other way. Man, there's some good stunt driving in this. There is. Well, and that, and that is, you know, you talk about 70s. That's a staple of 70s movies. Uh, that that became a staple of Bond movies in general. But the the you know the the car chases became a big big thing in the 70s. Uh, you know, especially uh, in uh, Bullet, the Steve McQueen movie. Yeah. Well, there's uh, the American the era of the American muscle car. So I'm just I'm going to go back to what when I talked about if if Sean Connery had played Scaramanga, uh, the other the other thought I heard from somebody and I don't remember where I heard it but I remember somebody talking about is there if you wanted to make it the you know him against the American James Bond, who in the 1970s would you have cast in that role? And I remember somebody saying Clint Eastwood, which I don't think so. That's that's not James Bond. That's Dirty Harry. Yeah, uh, the guy McQueen? who I gravitate to now, and I don't think I would have back then, but I do now only because the similarity with Daniel Craig is Steve McQueen. I just, yeah, that's it makes the most sense. If if you were gonna go a little more harder edge than that, because Steve McQueen is almost always instantly likable, just because of who he is 
and which, which I think would make for a good contrast in the movie. It, but go ahead. It would. But you want somebody who's who's more easily easy to detest. Who would you go with? Charles Bronson. Yes, I love him. Charles Bronson, Bronson see, versus the problem Roger with Bronson, Moore. I, I thought of Bronson, and that that would work. But the problem with him is, to me, he wouldn't really be a counterpoint to Bond because Bronson is more rough and tumble and a little less polished. Uh, see, I think I think Bronson would have made a better contrast to Connery than to than to Moore. Yeah, you're probably right there. But I mean, that that's also something that you can play with thematically. You've got. Roger James Bond, Roger Moore with his safari shirts and his bell bottoms, and you could have you could have had Bronson with a navy black sweater on and a pair of blue jeans and cowboy boots, and he would have been the the polar opposite. You know, instead of we're so much alike, it would have been you know I do. He could have easily pulled that role off in a much different way than Christopher Lee pulls it off. Oh, absolutely. Christopher Lee is charming as hell in this, as awful a human being as he is. Well, Christopher Lee is James Bond if he had a different road in his life and led led him to become an assassin uh, for hire. But I I mean, I could I could see Bronson spewing out that I grew up in the circus. Yeah. yeah." (laughs) You know, and they shot the elephant. So I shot him and it would have been it would have played for me very well. And that, that was another thing that threw me off a little bit is if if Scaramanga grew up in the circus and he was a, a, a uh, trick shooter, which they say he was, uh, how is it nobody knows what he looks like? Well, I understand that years could have gone by, but you could still say Cuba. this is what he looked like 20 years ago. I, and I know the you know they didn't have the computer to, to you know to use a program to age him, but you could still say here's what he looked like 20 years ago. Yeah, and, well, and they're like, well, find... nobody nobody knows what he looks like. That's all they yeah, said. You'd they have could to have... find playbills from a, a, a circus flyers from 30 years earlier. I mean, that's in Cuba at the time. I don't think that was going to happen. I mean, come on. Uh, Plus, I mean, he could have had some kind of reconstructive surgery by Blofeld's guy. Yeah, he could have. But shouldn't they at least say this is what he looked like when last seen? This is what he looked like. Shouldn't they have been able to say that at least? Yes. No, I don't think so because then it's more fun with the third nipple thing, you know. <laughs> you know, if you wanted to take this movie in a much lighter direction, you make the evil American Dean Martin. <laughs> We could shoot it out, or we could just well, have by a this, drink. By this time, saying. he was playing Matt Helm. Right, so, that's what I'm So you could have. That would certainly be interesting. That might have broke the movies, though. Yeah. I bet you, I bet you that would have pulled in a crowd, because, uh, you know, you're talking at a time when Dean Martin still would have been pretty popular, too. Oh, yeah, the roast was still going on and all that stuff, right? Yeah, you know what? Think, he yeah. might have made a good Felix Leiter. Now that I think about it. Oh yeah. He would have probably made a great Felix Leiter. Actually, and I think Matt Helm. I'm trying to remember when the Matt Helm movies were made, but I'm thinking those were like the late '60s. I'm gonna have to look now. We should cover those after James Bond. I wouldn't mind at least covering one. I would like to do that. I love Dean Mon. Yeah, so, uh, well, that's the books. Uh, Silences was 1966, Murders Row, 1966, Ambushers, 67, Wrecking Crew, 69. Uh, 
I'm going to I'm going to suggest that we find which one of those is the most highly regarded and we cover it. I'm not sure which one is. Okay. I'll let you gentlemen handle that one. Oh, I'm, I'm and I love Dean Martin. I always I always felt Dean Martin was so much cooler than Frank Sinatra, even though Sinatra gets all the credit for cool. Because <laughs> you know, here's 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 my my take on it, and I know we're off on a tangent here, but I always felt like Dean Martin really didn't care if you thought he was cool. He just was what he was. But I think Sinatra always wanted you to think he was cool. And to me, the first part of being cool is not caring if people think you're cool. If you care, then then you're not being cool about it because you're just putting on a show for people. <laughs> I, I also always felt that Frank had a, an edge to him, if you know what I mean, whereas well, Dean didn't. I, th- I think Frank thought he was a tough guy because uh, – you know, he, he could come over and beat he could come over and beat the crap out of you while his bodyguard stood stood over and made sure you didn't throw a punch back again. <laughs> so uh. anyway, I don't want to. You know, I love Frank Sinatra's music for what that's worth, but I just thought as 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 somebody to be much. a fan of what's that? It's not worth much. Oh, I love his music. <laughs> yeah, me too. The Rat Pack. I like the whole Rat Pack. Well, yeah, you I guys are old. I, I, have, I, I, have, I, have, I have some CDs to, to copy for you, Dave, next time I see you. <laughs> anyway, back to the movie. Uh, have we pretty much hit on everything? We missed anything? I think so, because this one is just so... It's light. It's so breezy. It's so breezy. It, it is definitely light, and it's intentionally so, and I think that's okay. Uh, like you said, it's, it's you know not all of them have to be... Uh, earth-shattering, but again, I do think it suffered at the box office for that very reason. Uh, I think people were looking for something a little bit more, and they didn't get it. Uh, well, they got so, more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but as far as rating this one, it does go lower on my list of Bond movies. Uh, like I said, I think the writers didn't really know exactly what kind of tone they were trying to go for, so I think they were a little bit all over the map. I don't think it was... It felt choppy for that reason. Uh, the story was, you know, it was not easy to follow. Some of the motivations seemed kind of dopey. Uh, but there was a lot of enjoyable stuff, too, that we talked about. You know, so to me, it's a it's a high Jaws 3, uh, which I know, you know, it's, it's not, not, not really giving it much in the way of praise. But, it's you know, it was still enjoyable in its own way. It just wasn't one of the peak ones. I'm okay. I'm right there with you. High Jaws three. I felt the plot kind of ambled around a bit. Characters weren't consistent. Missed opportunity and having Nick go the plane, the plane. <laughs> well, but you you know this this was this had to be where they were where they decided to use him in Fantasy Island because him standing next to Christopher Lee in that suit is practically him standing next to Ricardo Montalban in that suit. Yes, exactly. So yeah, I say it's a, it, it's a, I don't dislike this movie. Like if it comes on, I'm not going to change the channel. You know, it's 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 all right. So solid Jaws three. Yeah, I I've got it right on the line between a Jaws three and a Jaws two. Just I I really enjoy this one, and I know it's not most people's favorite, but uh, I get a kick out of it every time I watch it, even though it is wildly tonally inconsistent. I just smile and have a good time between the third nipples and the karate girls. 
in the disco bedroom and you know all that yeah so it, it does it does live up to my statement that even bad bond is good yes mm. or even bad bond is entertaining this is this is on the lower end of bond and it's still entertaining did anybody does anyone know anything about the book is it similar to the i, I have no idea haven't read this one no, I, I I haven't read any of them, so I can't. I've only read a couple of them, and uh, I genuinely prefer the film version of Bond to the uh, to the book version. Yeah. Be funny if it turns out in the book he had three of something else. Well, I could I could I could I could see Fleming going there. That's what I was thinking. Well, we're gonna have to change this clearly. Yep. You know what? I, I kind of wish it was now. Just, <laughs> right. just so I could hear Roger Moore go, uh, a third testicle, sir. <laughs> so, according to Wikipedia, in 1974, Eon Productions made the ninth Bond film loosely based on the novel. The film starred Roger Moore's Bond and Fleming's cousin Christopher Lee as Scaramanga. The film moved away from Jamaica to the Far East and borrowed from the martial arts genre that was popular in the 70s. The plot also changed and used in the 1973 energy crisis as a backdrop for the film, allowing the MacGuffin of the Solex agitator to be introduced. Yeah. So, you know, I guess, you know, as they said, it's loosely based on. Oh, I got to chime in one more time. One of my favorite bits in any Bond movie is in this. Let me shove the blonde in the closet so I can screw the brunette. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, misogyny at its best. Oh, God. Hey, she was only in there for two hours. What's the problem? Hey. Not the king and country. That's right. So, That's right. That'll do it for the man with the golden gun. But next time out, and I'm not sure, you know, it'll be a few episodes uh, as always, but next time out that, that we record... I think I want to take a veer off and do that Matt Helm movie before we get to The Spy Who Loved Me, if you guys Sounds will good. indulge me. Go for it. I'll, like I said, I'll let you two gentlemen handle uh, Matt Helm, and I shall return for uh, the underwater hijinks. Hero will return in The Spy Who oh, Loved yeah. Me. Actually, no, you got to say I'll, I'll return in Moonraker, or uh, uh, for your eyes only, right? Because yes. one of them yes. screwed up. <laughs> Shows you how they were working by the seat of their pants a little bit. Oh, yeah. So thanks, guys, again for coming on, and thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. Take care. See ya. How do you like my island? Bit off the beaten track, isn't it? It's rent-free. I do my landlords an occasional favor. A cozy arrangement. Servant problem, I suppose. Not at all. Knick-knack does for me very nicely. Usually, it was just the two of us, but having guests is no inconvenience. We're entirely self-supporting. We have every electrical labor-saving device you could possibly think of. This is an airlock, as you are doubtless aware. Uh, automatic, of course. Naturally, we have an ample supply of electricity here. Let me show you.
This should run a few electric toothbrushes. Up here. A solar energy station. So this is what it's all about. Huh. Thermoelectric generators to convert solar energy into electricity. All built by Hyfat's construction company, no doubt. Somehow I seem to have inherited it from them. It's all fully automated. That's Crown, maintenance and security. He looks after everything in here. Nick Mac does everything else when he isn't polishing the silver. They tell me the electricity is stored in here somewhere. Science was never my strong point. Superconductivity coils cooled by liquid helium. If I were you, I wouldn't stick my finger or anything else for that matter in there. At 453 degrees below zero, that liquid helium would break it off like an icicle. You really know far more about it than I do, Mr. Hartman. I'm arranging for every country that can afford the price to send their experts here to see for themselves. But no Solex until the money is in the bank, right? Right. I have run across similar situations. Not what I've got here. This way, the highest bidder can build hundreds of these stations and sell franchises for hundreds more. He will literally have the sun in his pocket. A monopoly on solar power. The oil shakes will pay you just to keep solar energy off the market. The thought had occurred to me. This is the collection point. Oh. So that's where it belongs. Our famous Solex in the still down there transmits heat to the thermal generators. It's uh, collected through this. But where is it collected from? You need the sun. Watch that mushroom-shaped rock. lock onto the sun and then track it automatically. Something like that, yes. Hmm. Reflected through this, those panels must produce a heat of at least three and a half thousand degrees Fahrenheit. If you say so, Mr. Barton. But I do know that we can focus the power wherever we want. Over here, I'll show you. This is a bonus. Goes with the Solex. No extra charge. This is the part I really like.
that's what I call solar power. That's what I call trouble. You must admit, Mr. Bond, I am now undeniably the man with the golden gun. <laughs>